This is Pastor Devin, and I just want to say thanks for joining us, and I hope and pray that this message is an encouragement to your life today. A uh, new series this, uh, this week we're starting, and uh, it's a series entitled Four Cups. This actually is a series that started in, in my heart about two years ago when I heard some of the ideas and some of the, the truths uh, of this, this series presented by a, a pastor friend. And so I've been looking forward uh, to teaching these, uh, these promises and, and truths to you uh, today. Um, we're, we are going to have the opportunity today to partake in communion together. And it, it really is a wonderful uh, segue um, and, a, and a kind of a foundational thing for this series. So um, we'll have an opportunity to do that at the end. Uh, you know, the, the Passover feast, as we talked about last week, um, the celebration, the remembrance of the nation of Israel experiencing freedom and deliverance from Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So uh, last week on Easter, we celebrated not only our risen king, but also how Jesus became the ultimate Passover lamb once and for all. Jesus became the new covenant, no longer requiring the sacrificing of lambs. And in his final dinner with his disciples, with his friends before he was to die, he got together with his disciples, and as they had been doing in the Jewish uh, culture, they celebrated Passover, where Jesus makes that, that well-known statement that we've read already this morning, Luke chapter 22, do this in remembrance of me. What became communion for us was a commemoration of their freedom from the Egyptian rule in their life, and we get to celebrate and commemorate Christ's sacrifice and the freedom and deliverance that we get to celebrate in him. So for those of us that have uh, grown up in church, I grew up in church, I'm a church brat, and we have always understood communion to be a cup and some bread. Uh, actually, way back in Exodus, when God told the Israelites to institute the Passover feast, and even when Jesus was celebrating the Passover feast with his disciples, they would actually celebrate with not one cup, but with four cups of wine. How many know that's a celebration? That's a party. Okay, I mean, that's... Uh, that's a totally different sermon, that's a different message, that's a different series. Throughout the celebration, though, through, throughout the meal, as they would partake and consume the lamb that had been sacrificed, they would drink four cups of wine. And during the meal, they would read through a passage of Scripture, the same passage of Scripture that they had been reading through from Exodus to now. And in that passage, there are four statements that they would say, that they would recount as they would drink each cup of wine with each statement. And if you just think of that passage in Luke 22, when Jesus was celebrating the Passover, the Last Supper, the cup, the cup is mentioned several times, uh, before supper, throughout the, the dinner, and even after supper, Jesus took the cup. The cup is mentioned several times. That's because Jesus would be celebrating in the same manner four cups throughout the meal. And they all represent God's plan for people's lives. And over the next five weeks, I just want us to go on a spiritual journey together. This idea that we, we can experience and know more. There, there's more out there. I, I mean, I love God. I love going to church. But there has to be something more. This idea that together we can pursue purpose in Christ and all that God has for us. So I just want to begin this series with this very simple thought. And that is this. More than 3,000 years ago. God made some promises to a group of people that were in Egypt at the time, the Israelites. 
And those promises continue to stand at the heart of everything he wants to do in our lives today. Think about that. God, the creator of the universe, has an offer on the table for you. He's made some promises. Look at this verse, 2 Peter chapter 1. And because of his glory and excellence, God has given us his very great and precious promises. So that through them, the promises actually have a purpose. When you discover the promises of God, they do two things. This is is huge. I want you to get this. They do two things. So that you may participate in the divine nature. The reality is today you are participating in something. Now it may be divine. And it may be not so divine, but you are participating in something. Christians, yes, even Christians, are living very natural lives. And I just want to say to us this morning, God never designed us or called us to live natural lives. He called us and designed us to live supernatural lives out of the divine nature. God promises And he enables and empowers you to participate in that nature. And it helps you to escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You can have both of those things. God promises for you. You can live a supernatural life. And you can have a weapon that allows you to escape the corruption in this world. Here's here's the definition of a promise for us today. Maybe you want to jot this down as we're taking notes. Those of you that are note takers. A promise is, is simply this. An offer... With a guaranteed result. It's an offer. And I just want to tell you that God has an offer on the table for you today. And it's guaranteed. Chances are, none of us have fully realized what that offer is. Chances are, God has more that is available to you. More sitting on the table than you're realizing today. And there's an offer and it's in the form of his promises. And when God makes a promise, they always come to pass. God's promises. God's promises always. Not promises in general. Because chances are, promises have been made to you by a spouse, by an ex-spouse, by a boss, by an ex-boss, by a parent. Chances are, promises have been made to you and those promises have been broken. We've all been on the receiving end of broken promises. Not so with God. Not even possible with God. God always keeps his promises. Joshua chapter 21 verse 45 says this. Not one of all of the Lord's good promises to Israel ever failed. Every one of them was fulfilled. Let me point this out. While they were living, they believed that God was not going to fulfill what he had promised. It looked like from their perspective that he wasn't going to do it. But he ended up doing it. It didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like. But he ended up doing. Maybe some of you have thought that. That God goes back on his promises. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 17. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word a rock solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. In other words, they are eternal. They are not conditional. He will always do them. He will always want to do them. God does not change and say, well, forget it, not for you. No. They are unchangeable. You need to know that this morning. Verse 18, we who have run for our very lives to God, I love that, have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. And that's the journey that I want us to go on over the next five weeks together with the hope that you will grab a hold of the promises of God so that you can have more. There's more. 
so that you can have more than you're currently experiencing. Verse 19, it is unbreakable. It is an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. What is? The promises of God. Reaching past all appearances, and they will take you right to the very presence of God. How many would like to be led right to the very presence of God? It's in and through God's promises that you'll be led there. A few things regarding God's promises. First, this. I need to know God's promises. I need to know them. You need to know what his promises are. A lot of us know some of them. Some of us know none of them. But we need to know the promises that God has made. First Chronicles chapter 17 David says this, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing. David's praising God because he had made known all of these great promises. He celebrated the fact that he could know the promises of God. And you say, well, Devin, where are these promises? They are in his word. If you want to know God's promises, you need to know his word. Let me just tell you what the Bible is. The Bible is a book. Of promises. Promises for you, not just for those people then, but for you today. That's why, that's why it's absolutely imperative that as you grow in your faith, that you spend time reading God's word. You have to know his promises. You know, we, we make things available to you. The one-year Bible, we make it available on our website. You can click on it and read your Old Testament portion and your New Testament portion and your Psalms and your Proverbs. And if you're not careful, you can conquer your Bible reading. You can conquer the one-year Bible. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you, in your time with the Lord, as you read his word, to grab a hold of a truth, a promise, a principle, and you allow that promise to dominate your thinking for the day. You may be surprised by this. There are times when I read my portion, and I don't get something out of everything that I read. But I'll read something, and I go, Oh, that's so good. I'm going to hold on to that today. And that's going to be on the forefront of my thinking. Let me me just tell you something. When life doesn't make sense, you need to hold on to the promises of God. When when circumstances are, are difficult and you don't understand them, you need to hold on to the promises of God. For every situation and every season, find a promise of God and hold on to that promise. There isn't a situation that you faced and there isn't a situation that you're going to face that God hasn't given you one of his great and precious promises. I mean, when you're facing fear, Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? When you're facing sickness, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives my sin and heals all of my disease. When you feel like the enemy is attacking you, 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Romans 8, 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When you're facing financial struggle, Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. When you're facing sickness again, he bore stripes upon your, on his back, 2 Peter chapter 2, and by his stripes we are healed. You've got to hold on to the promises of God. you got to, yeah, that's okay. We're about three minutes in and I'm already preaching, I'm sorry. You go to the dentist, crown him with many crowns. I don't know what kind of, that's not a verse, I'm sorry, that's not a verse. That's not a verse. There is a verse, though. I don't know the reference on it. There's a verse that says, Open wide thy mouth and fill it. 
And that's your verse for the dentist when you go to the dentist, okay? (laughs) You need to get a truth, a promise, and you let that truth dominate your thinking. Um, Years ago, Dad did a message and a series, and at the end of that series, he gave all of the families a plaque, a, a brass plaque. And on that plaque was inscribed the verse out of Joshua 24, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Every house I've ever lived in with Ashley as a family, that plaque has either been on our front door or on the door going out of our garage. As for me and my house, it's the last thing I see every time I leave my house. It's a declaration. And you declare these things over your life. One of our kids struggles with fear and insecurity. What do I do with him every night? I pray that verse out of 2 Timothy. The Lord has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. There is no fear in love. A perfect love casts out all fear. God is love. Fear and love cannot coexist. We pray these declarations, these promises, and you got to get a hold of a verse. Because when life doesn't make sense, you better get on to the promises of God. You need to know them. You also need to understand his promises. I need to know his promises. I need to understand his promises. Uh, there's, there's some of you that, that kind of think that God is, is a false advertiser. He says things that he doesn't really do. That's, that's because you don't understand the promises of God. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? To which some of you are thinking, yeah, he hasn't carried through some of his promises. You don't understand the promises of God. First thing is this. We need to understand some things about his promises. When God makes a promise, he doesn't change his mind. God's promises are unconditional. He is the same. What's the Bible say? He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. He is constant and true. So his promises do not change. But you also need to know that although his promises are not conditional, they actually are conditional because They're contingent upon a role that you play. Every promise has a premise that you have a role in. You say, well, what's what's the role that I play in that? Well, how about being in right relationship with God? How about enacting your faith? Some of you are thinking, God hasn't come through with the promises that I read in his word. And I just want to say, how's your relationship with him? Are you pursuing relationship with him? Are Are you enacting your faith? Can I just give you some pastoral advice. Um, God is always going to require faith. Get used to it. See, some of, us, some of us want the stuff that God gives us, but we don't want to use our faith. Or in some cases, we don't even want to use our common sense. We just expect God to give it to us. That's not the way it works, because he knows if you're depending upon him and you're trusting him, that you will get close to him. That's exactly what he wants. Third thing you need to know when it comes to understanding his promises is this. God's promises are done in his way and in his time. Now, that's the part we don't really care for that either. No, thank you. I'll pass. From our perspective, God can be slow. Maybe that's just me. Come on. Got to do some stuff here. I'm convinced that some of us would be fine going to heaven dumb and ignorant and not learned, learned anything, but getting everything that we wanted. 
when really God wants to teach us some things while we're down here. And what's happening in the process of waiting on the deliverance of the promise is we're learning some things. We're getting better. You stay in obedience. You walk with him. Let him do it in his way. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are always yes in Christ. Remember, you can't have the promises of God without Jesus. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us. He did it. He actually did it to the glory of God. You have to know his promises. You have to understand his promises. And you need to pursue his promises. This is really what this series is all about. His promises sometimes are not automatically going to come to you. You're going to have to chase some of them down. And I hope that we help you to do that during this series. The goal is for all of us to look back five weeks from now and not be in the same place we are today. Look at what David said in Psalm 119, verse 140. Your promises have been thoroughly tested. Now, some of you haven't thoroughly tested God's promises. You've claimed them. And then they didn't happen the way you thought they should, so you doubted and walked away. David says, no, I, I've tried it, d- tested it, and now, what's he say? Now your servant loves your promises. In fact, the word promise was actually first used in the 15th century. It came from two different words, pro and miss. And it simply means this, to send forth, but specifically meaning that it always makes a guarantee about your future. So, I can actually make a guarantee about your future. Ooh. (laughs) If you know them, understand them, and pursue them, there's a better life than you're currently living. I guarantee it. Did you hear what I just said? Hey, listen. If you like it the way it is, I envy you. In fact, if you would just say that you're content because you have no more room to grow and become more and that you've reached the pinnacle You've arrived. We would just love for you to stand up this morning. We'd like to get a good look at perfection. There it is. But if you think there's a better life out there for you, and there is, there's more, I guarantee. Because these original four promises that God made to the children of Israel, the Jewish people have been talking about and still talk about every Passover. They stand as the four core promises that God has made. Let me say it this way. All other promises flow through and around these four promises. And they're found way back in Exodus chapter 6. These verses that Jewish people read when they celebrate the Passover feast. The Jewish people actually call them the four I will statements. Four I will statements that they read through. And as they read each I will statement, they partake in the next cup. The four cups. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6. Therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out. First thing God wants you to do, I just want to get you out of there. I'm not worried about fixing you. I'm not worried about making sure you're all neat and tidy or telling you what the rest of your life is all about. I just have to get you out of there and I can't start working with you until I get you out of there. So I got to bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Second cup, the second I will statement is this. I will free you. From being slaves to them. This one, this one is interesting to me. That actually sounds somewhat like what he already did. Now you got me out of slavery. I'm not a slave anymore. And now you're going to free me. 
Yes, because there are a lot of people that aren't slaves anymore, but they still have the heart of a slave inside of them. I I like it the way it's been said. I have a friend that says it this way. They were out of Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. Their their thinking was wrong, so they didn't know how to act. And God says, I've got to get you out of slavery, and then I've got to get that slavery out of your heart. I want to free you from that. The third promise, God says this. I've got another promise for you. The third cup. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I've got to get you back to what you were supposed to be in the first place because you weren't supposed to be slaves. And I'm going to do that with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. Then finally, the fourth cup, verse 7. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know, Connect Church, listen, that I am the Lord, your God, because you're going to see me do amazing and massive changes are going to happen in your life who brought you out of the yoke, of the bondage of the Egyptians. Four promises. I will bring you out. I will free you. I will redeem you. And then I will take you as my own people. Here's what we're going to do real quickly this morning. We're just going to look at the offer that's on the table. There's more than you're currently experiencing And then over the next four weeks, we're going to dive into each of these cups. We'll take it a cup at a time, and we're going to experience them together. Let me just give you a little preview of what those are going to look like. The first one is this. God said this, the first promise, I will bring you out. This is the first promise. God's promise for me is this. God promises me salvation. Bringing me out is his promise of salvation. Now, here's the question, you know, because we live in the buckle of the Bible belt. Where everyone is saved. You love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus. Do you go to church? No. Okay, well, that's a different, okay. Uh, But I'm saved. Uh, And we say that for the most part because we all kind of grew up in church. Because we think salvation is church attendance maybe or a denomination or the card you signed. No, all of that is a relationship to an institution or to a building. I'm talking about a relationship with God through Jesus. Now, salvation could have happened, but for scores of people, they've equated their salvation with an affiliation with a a church and not an affiliation in a relationship with God. You say, well, how do I I know if I drank from that first cup? I'll let Scripture speak to you on this. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. It wasn't so long ago that we, this is those of us that have already had a drink from the first cup, we've already been saved. That we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. Anybody relate to that? I'll raise my hand on that one. Dupes of sin, ordered every way by our glands. That means that my body was calling the shots. Whatever felt good, whatever seemed right in the moment, my body wanted it and I did it. Going around with a chip on my shoulder. So I'm bitter and out of control. Hated and hating back. Don't be a hater. Don't be a hater. Don't be hating on people. That's what life without Jesus looks like, hating on people all the time. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all of that. So let me, let me just say it, say it this way. If you are still doing any of that, you might need to take another drink from the first cup. If you're hating, hating back, your body's calling the shots. It was all, all about what I wanted to do. Here's what he did. Look at this. I love this. He gave us a good bath. And we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus 
poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him. That's the bedrock of what salvation means. So if you're not in a relationship with God, you're not saved. The Bible says that you're saved when you're in a relationship, not with a church. That's a good thing. But if God is a million miles away from you today and you know it, then you may need to take another drink from the first cup. And what's it say there at the end? And he has given us back our lives. And there's more life. There it is again. There's more. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. And you can count on this because it's a promise. It's a promise. All that to say, if you're still living some of your old life, take another drink. It's the first time you're going to hear a pastor say, take another drink. (laughs) There's more. There's more. Countless Christians are going to drink from that first cup, and they're going to do that, and they're going to mark that off, and they're going to think, that's the end of the process. I'm good to go. No, that just starts the process. Because then God says, now that I've got you out of Egypt and you're saved, I've got to get Egypt out of you. I've got to get all that junk out of your life. And the second promise there, I will free you. I will free you. Now, chances are, let me just say this. Chances are that 80 to 90% of us are in this cup. You say, whoa, that's a high percentage. You love God, but you've never experienced God's promise of deliverance. Deliverance. God promises deliverance. Now, that word sometimes freaks people out a little bit. They hear that word. They think deliverance. <laughs> yeah. You think a Catholic priest is walking in. You know, they're doing that. Oh, the heads are spinning. Woo. Green stuff's coming out. That's what we think of when we hear deliverance. <laughs> Let me just say this. Deliverance is not just for people that are possessed or oppressed. Deliverance is for people that are still trapped in their old life. So you're a Christian, but your sinful nature is interrupting your Christian life. Even the great Apostle Paul, who, by the way, when he wrote this, was planting churches and writing two-thirds of the New Testament. And while that's going on, he writes this in Romans chapter 7. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. So he's decided to follow Jesus. Planting churches, writing the New Testament, I'm a slave to God's law. But... In my sinful nature, I'm a slave to the law of sin. So when sin comes a-knocking, I go answering. And, and then I do stupid things, and I hate that. But I keep finding myself going back to my sinful nature. And here's the, the truth that he gives us in first verse of chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, that's a good thing to know, isn't it? Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Because the question that I want to ask is, What does God think about that? We come to church on Sunday. We make a declaration that I'm never going to do that again. And we've done it five times before we end up at church the next week. What does God think about that? Well, thankfully, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And instead, he has a promise for you. So instead of feeling like God is frustrated with you, accept the offer that he puts on the table. And that is the cup of deliverance. He has a plan. He has a plan to get you out of Egypt. He has a plan to also get Egypt out of you. Now, every promise has a premise. You have a role in that. You're not off the hook. And a bunch of us need to experience that. Verse 2, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free 
from the law of sin and death, God promises you deliverance. He set us free. The third promise, I will redeem you. To redeem. To redeem simply means to put something back to its original intent. So, so here's the promise. God promises to restore me. God promises restoration to how I was originally designed to be and what I was originally designed to do. Cup three is the promise that God has something for you and that he wants you to do something. Check this out. Ephesians chapter one, verse 11. For it is in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Let me just say this. Unless your life is in Christ, you will never know who you are or what you're living for. You will try. Notice, he's trying to remind you, to restore you, the promise of restoration. Long before we heard of Christ and we got our hopes up, he had his eye on us. He had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and in everyone, all that to say, God has a plan for your life for you to make a difference on this earth. And some of you still don't know what that is. You're living your life. You don't know who you are, what you're supposed to be doing. You are a piece of the puzzle that God wants to put in there to make a difference. It's the third promise. That's why, that's why we exist as a church. To get, to get you out to get it out of you, and then to help you find the plan, the purpose, the plan that God has for you. That's why we exist. And then you drink from the fourth cup, the ultimate cup, where ultimately God wants to get you. The fourth promise is this. I will take you as my own people. Notice, uh, I love this. He's been working on you, you, you. Now it's no longer a person, but it's a people. So at the final stage of God's development in your life, he doesn't make you a person, but he makes you a people. I don't know if you caught that or not. At the final stage, he's gotten you out. He's gotten the junk out of you. He's helped you find the thing he created you to do. And then he takes you and he puts you as a part of a family, a team, a place, a city, a church with a vision. And he groups you because God promises you fulfillment. Fulfillment. Now, here's the deal. God never fulfills his best in a person by themselves. He always puts you in a group. You'll never find it in Scripture where God says, I'm only going to do that through you. No, no, no. He always makes a body of Christ. Fitly joined together, it says. I just say this. You'll never even know how great life can be until you're part of a team making a difference. You'll never experience all that God has for you unless you get to this place. Life will not be completely fulfilling unless you experience the fourth cup. There's an, op- there's an offer on the table for you to get out of bondage. And if you're in it, you're still letting your glands tell you what to do. You're hating on people. You need to get out. But then once you get out, you've got to allow him to start the process of getting all that junk out of your heart, healing you, delivering you. And he'll help you find your design, who you are, what you're living for. But then he's going to get you to that place, that strategic place on this earth, at a time on this earth, and where you can make a difference. There's no greater joy. And you don't even know it until you find it, really, than when you can lay your head on the pillow at night and think, I'm making a difference. Not by myself. 
I'm convinced. I'm convinced. God is never satisfied with what he wants to do in our life until this, this verse that is so familiar. Most of us could quote this verse. But until this verse becomes a reality, we know it. Some of us aren't living it. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said this, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Life in all of its abundance. So the question is, is that how you would describe your life? Abundant? Full? Are your glands still telling you what to do? You're still slave to your body. You're still trying to get the junk out. Circling through, cycling through. Keep going back to. Your sinful nature keeps interrupting your Christian life. You're still trying to figure out why I'm here. What am I supposed to do? What's the big thing, God? Maybe you're still looking for the people. And I look across this room today. And I love the fact that I can see the faces of, of wonderful believers that found a people. That they could experience life and fulfillment with. That's the best. Any, any friend would come to you today and say, God has more for you. And he's got an offer on the table for you. Do you, be, do you believe that he's got an offer on the table for you? Do you believe that you can experience abundant life? Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. If you want to join us on Sunday, we meet at 1030 a.m. right next to Wilson Central High School or check us out online at connectchurchtn.com. Thanks so much and have a blessed day.